This episode is brought to you by Jane Austen. Okay, that's not actually true. This episode is brought to you by Writing with Jane Austen, a new six-week online creative writing course taught by me, Jonathan Rogers. Starting April 6th, we will read through Pride and Prejudice together. Then we'll examine how Jane Austen works her particular kind of magic, and then we'll apply those principles to our own writing. You can find out more at thehabit.co slash Jane. Welcome to The Habit Podcast, conversations with writers about writing. I'm Jonathan Rogers, your host. The Wingfeather Tales started out life as a Kickstarter stretch goal. In the Kickstarter campaign to fund The Warden and the Wolf King, book four of the Wingfeather Saga, Andrew Peterson recruited five writer friends to write stories set in Ariar, the world of the Wingfeathers. He also recruited some of his favorite illustrators to illustrate the stories. That compilation, The Wingfeather Tales, has just been re-released by Waterbrook Press. I was able to sit down with most of the authors of The Wingfeather Tales for this episode of The Habit Podcast. Welcome to this very special episode of The Habit Podcast. We're talking about Wingfeather Tales, um, and uh, this is the newly re-released collection of stories set in um, Andrew Peterson's Ariar world, and we have... Uh, five of the people who contributed stories to this. So, Andrew, tell us about kind of what Wingfeather Tales is, yeah. how it came to be, all that. Well, we were, we were, I remember we were kickstarting book four um, to try to, you know, plus all the, the production value of book four and make book it four hard. Book four of the Wingfeather. Sorry, book four of the Wingfeather Saga. There's the conclusion of the thing. And, uh, and we, it, the campaign went really well and we met all our stretch goals and then we were trying to think of new stretch goals. And I think Pete had the idea. Somebody had the idea to, to invite a bunch of Rab Room friends to re- contribute short stories set in the world of Air We Are. And um, I expected that it would be this little slim, you know, 50, 75 page volume and it ended up being longer than the first book. Um, so <laughs> it was you, Jonathan Rogers, Pete Peterson, A.S. Pete Peterson, Jennifer Trafton, Indy Wilson, and Doug McKelvey all contributed. And then the other part of the idea was to invite a bunch of illustrators, to uh-huh. individual illustrators to, to illustrate each story. Uh-huh. So it involved my son Aiden Peterson and Justin Gerard and Corey Godby and Nicholas Cole and Doug Tenaple. Uh, it was just amazing. This yeah. amazing like A team of some of my favorite writers and illustrators all throwing in ideas for this series, this uh, compilation, whatever. Uh, what, what was that like in trusting your fictional world to? It was uh, not hard for me. <laughs> right. Like I know I love I like I'm not being bashful when I say this. I just I have great doubts about my own abilities as a writer. Uh, and not doubts about you guys' abilities as a writer. So I was like, man, this will be like the best thing that ever happened to the world of Ariar is to have you guys all pitch in. And so, uh, and I think that part of that is because um, I've, I've kind of learned that from being a musician first, is that hmm. if I have an idea for a song, I know that if I turn that song over to Ben Shive and he brings his musicians in, and um, then most of the time, I don't have to say a word in the song finds its legs and gets better and better and better. And so I enjoy that process of taking the little nugget of an idea and then inviting other people to add to it. And so it was, yeah, I wasn't super protective of it. Um, And it was just really fun. Like I I wrote in the intro that um, no one will experience reading Wingfeather Tales like I did. And the the analogy that I used was like, 
imagine that I built a house, like I, I came up with the architectural plan and paid the builder and walked through it every day of the building of the house and then had all you guys over for dinner on the first night and then you guys showed me all these secret passageways. <laughs> uh, and so in my own house, I was discovering things that I didn't know were there. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Because um, a lot of these stories uh, sort of grow out of maybe footnotes that you would... Do all of them grow out of footnotes from your... No, work? no, not footnotes so much. Like yours did, because I mentioned the Ballad of Landrick and Rube in the yeah. first book. And I even kind of give the little plot synopsis. Yeah, right. Synopsis. And that, that was very helpful, by the way. Yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and then that was based on a Kate Rusby song called William and Davy. Uh, like, that's an old English song. Really? Some version of that happens, and I thought, oh, that'd be fun. Fun little uh, steal. <laughs> I didn't even know that. And then uh, Jennifer's is all based on Pembroke, which tons of footnotes are Pembroke. But um, the rest of them, I think, were just like backstories of characters that showed up in the uh-huh. Yeah, I was thinking that you, you'd actually mention things that were then... Because Doug's story, didn't you mention something that Doug built Well, on? Sarah Cobbler is... Um, and I just gave away a huge spoiler. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, no, the, I, I mentioned it in the story. She is a footnote, but she's also a main character. Mm-hmm. And so Doug expanded. Yeah. So my question is, was it hard for you guys? I would love to know from you guys what it was like to make was it freeing to be writing a story where you got to play in somebody else's sandbox or was it was it stressful I, I, I would say it was very freeing to say okay I've got a plot I've got some characters and now I just sort of add my little mm-hmm. yeah, add a fist fight and burn it. <laughs> <laughs> that's good <laughs> that's a good question I don't uh I think it was, for me, it was a little bit of both. It was freeing in one sense because, uh, I don't know if you know this, but like I've always wanted to write a fantasy series, and now I feel like I never can. <laughs> because it'll just seem like all oh, that Pete guy, he's just trying to copy Andrew now. <laughs> because, like, I mean, honestly, like if I was to write a fantasy series, it would, it would be a lot the same in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So I feel like being able to write a short story was like, ooh, I can finally put this to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which was a lot of fun. But then it was terrifying because uh, I immediately knew I wanted to write about Poto because he was a you know sailor and a pirate, and mm-hmm. I know my way around that, and it sounds like fun. But you know, having to like thread a needle of writing a backstory for a character that's so central to the book yeah. without without betraying anything of that character was kind of nerve-wracking. What do you mean when you say betraying? What, what do you mean? Well, I didn't want to... I mean, I couldn't write anything that would feel like it was not true to Poto's character. Yeah. Or the character he would become. And that's just delicate. Yeah. Especially when it's not mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, it was interesting. Mm-hmm. And super fun. And I was terrified at first because of the pressure of living up to this thing that you created. But I remember you asked me to do it during a time when I, I was going through a severe writer's block. And, um, and I just had this huge internal struggle about it. Um, but then once I discovered the, the, the Pembroke character and, the, and this, the way that I could do it, it was very freeing to have this huge bunch of raw material there for me mm-hmm. that I didn't have to come up with. Um, that I think that that actually helped me through that period of writer's block because I, you gave me the, all this wonderful stuff to work with and then I just had fun with it. That's so I, it was one of the most 
fun experiences I've had with writing for a long time. It is like the most Jennifer Trafton thing in the world. <laughs> yeah. It is. There are so many words like like uh, oh, I can't even think of any words. Bisweebland. Well, it was I, like I discovered that piece of what you had done that was most like me. Uh-huh. Yeah. So it was like the most like my own voice. Yeah. And so now I, I'm, it's a really a bummer because I loved writing with that voice so much, and I can't do it anymore now because <laughs> yeah. it's your character. I'm like, man, I can never go back to being Pembroke again. Or well, if the series the takes off, then we'll do a special episode that you can just, write. <laughs> <laughs> so this is interesting. So you just said that you found the piece of the Wingfeather Saga that was most like your voice. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened to me. Yeah. Like I found the part that was about pirates and sailors. Yeah. And you know. Moby Dick and all that, and then you found something Absolutely. that was very feature like. That's true. And then yeah. Doug, you found something that's the most Doug thing, <laughs> <laughs> which is fascinating. That is true. Yeah, that's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, I thought it was fun um, to to start the the story that I wrote within the the confines of of parts of Air We Are that you had you had mapped out mm-hmm. already. But then my instinct was to send the character, you know, beyond the maps, <laughs> which is the title of the story, and have fun with, you know, kind of describing what, you know, what was in in regions of this world that you hadn't explored yet, and and there was a different kind of freedom mm-hmm. in that, I think, yeah. Did you set out to write a western? Yeah, on on some level, I I wanted a story that that had that kind of feel mm-hmm. and, and some of those elements. I mean, the starting point for me was in the first few pages of book one, where you just have this passing reference to an incident that happens, and to parents whose daughter is taken mm-hmm. um, and for me as a father of three daughters I just was like wait a second <laughs> you just you <laughs> Andrew just did this to this guy <laughs> and then we don't hear from him again <laughs> so I, I had to know well what, what becomes of him what is his story from that point, where does a father go who's just lost his child in this in this kind of way, and and what's his journey? And I didn't set out to write a long story, but it was just a natural result of that being the beginning point, and I didn't know what the ending point would mm-hmm. be, and so I'm just following this character, and it turned out that it took a significant amount of real estate <laughs> for his journey to come to uh, to any sort of resolution. Yeah. In a way that felt um, that felt like it that to me didn't feel contrived. Yeah. Any point at which I might have tried to end the story earlier and wrap it up just it, it didn't feel like it honored the gravity of the loss mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the journey that would be required. Yeah. Yeah. 
One question I've always had for you, Doug, is like, did you know ahead of time that we'd be splitting up royalties according to page count? Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> I'm bitter about it. <laughs> oh, man. No. I did not know that at the time. I was just I mean, chasing, long one too. I was chasing the story. <laughs> Yeah, you know, one of the things I love about the Wing Feather books is that you, you give the impression that there's there's always more than you're telling, and that's a big part of what the footnotes do. Is you know th th there's this world that we're getting a glimpse of it, but we're only getting a glimpse. I mean, we're getting a, a major. I mean, it's an important glimpse, but there's lots. Of, it just feels like a fully a full world, and that's you know one of the things I love. You know, in your story that Doug, that you're going off, and based on that, that thing you saw on the first couple of pages of the first book, you know, here's a, here's a little corner that can be explored. I, that's, that's one of the things I love about, hmm. about the whole series, but then the, it opens up the possibility of, of these kind of stories with very different tones, right? Mm -hmm. Very different subject matter. Um, and um, I'd, be, I'd be interested to know to, you know, to, there's no way to, no good way to know this in a podcast format, but, but you know, do, to readers, does this feel like we're still in? The yeah, and that, yeah, I have heard great things from readers. One of, one of my, I mean, the, the release was so recent that we haven't heard, like the new release. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm so, I can't wait to hear what comments are. But, uh, but yeah, the feedback in the first release several years ago was awesome. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I just, uh, I think that one of the things that I love about it is that it, what I love, the thing that happens in fantasy that really makes it matter to me is when you've got all this whimsy and all the craziness of the world, but the characters that are living in that world feel like actual characters. Mm -hmm. Like the things that they're encountering are like, you get to explore what an actual person would, how they would deal with these, with the toothy cow in the woods. You know what I mean? <laughs> so this weird like mashup of this completely other world with this yeah. very familiar human humanity thrown into it is part of the fascinating thing to it so to me like uh the the groundedness of it all is part of the fun yeah. and the groundedness of it is kind of what where these things come from it's like the care like seeing poto as a young man i i feel like i know poto so well because his character was like a real very real to me and now i'm getting this look in the, the photo album of what happened to him <laughs> but the but but you know it's it's like easy for me as a, as the author to say oh yeah and kids would get taken by the black carriage and yeah. and for you to then go what does that actually look like how would a, an actual human being deal with his daughter being taken is more or less what you know these stories are about yeah yeah that that fancy question you know what would happen if if the 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 rest of that sentence should be know what we know about the way human beings work yeah. what would happen if right mm -hmm. If they were a toothy cow, know what we know about the way you know people's options <laughs> as human beings. You know, how would they deal with a toothy, yeah. the toothy cow? People's options in the context of cows. <laughs> and Jerry, what, what are our options here? <laughs> I was. I love the fact that Jennifer's. I think your idea for the story happened because of a typo or a, a an inconsistency in my timeline. Do you remember this? I don't like, remember. This. I had. Like in like, I remember in the first book, I was just coming up with arbitrary dates for things, you know. So third epic year three fifty three, and it would be three slash three five three, and like the book publishes the dates that the books were published were just kind of like picked out of a hat. 
But Pembroke's Futurepedia, I had <laughs> the publication date didn't work with the timeline of the rest of my story. And so your story starts with it's framed as a letter from him to the publisher complaining <laughs> about the fact that there was a typo. <laughs> <laughs> so once again, like you take the material and you go, what would actually happen? What could explain this? You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's fun. Yeah. That's great. Um, now, the editorial process, I was under the impression, because it, on the front it says editor Andrew Peterson, that you had edited the book. Yeah. Turns out it's Pete. Well, the book. I mean, I curated the book. <laughs> well, yeah, like, I think there were two levels of editing. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. You made sure everything was right in the world, mm -hmm. and then I was yeah. just doing the technical editing. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, we were talking earlier about, <laughs> about the, uh, your story, Pete. Andrew made you tone it down. Tone down <laughs> yeah. I, I want to hear about that again. Well, if there's anything that's true about me as a writer, then it's that I always overwrite everything, <laughs> and then have to like, scale my stuff back to where it's palatable. And like this was no exception. You know, the story's about Poto is a young man who's a pirate, and his uh, he, how they're hunting the young sea dragons. Uh -huh. And so, you know, there's a moment late in the book when, you know, the ship is being attacked by a sea dragon, and I was really getting into it and then writing, you know, the movie that's in my mind, which is always too violent for kids. <laughs> <laughs> now, there, yeah, I remember specifically there was a moment where the sea dragon kind of has eaten a few sailors over the course of the story, and then it comes upon the ship and. Poto's kind of facing it off, and the sea dragon, you know, screams at him. And as the sea dragon is roaring, Poto can see into its gullet that there's a sailor that's like half eaten, impaled on a tooth, like a molar. It's just kind of like reaching out to be saved <laughs> as the dragon is withdrawing. You know, it's this hopelessly bleak image. Doug is currently writing his backstory. <laughs> And like in my mind, I was like, this is me firing on all cylinders. Like, this is so awesome. And uh, anyway, I gave it to Andrew, and Andrew was like, man, this is a little much. And I was like, really? But it's the best part. And uh, so anyway, I, you know, as you often do as a writer, you get mad at your editor, and then you go sleep on it, and you realize he was right. Um, so I had to rewrite that whole scene. Or, you know, I didn't have to rewrite the whole scene, but I had to... I, take the sailor out of the dragon's mouth. <laughs> but then I had to find a way to make that moment as meaningful in a different way. Uh, and that forced me to like reckon with, you know, really what's going on in this moment? Why is this happening? And, you know, that resulted in a much better scene that ends up being one of my favorite moments in the story that had ripple effects throughout the rest of the yeah. story, actually, in the way that things came together in, you know, just minor ways. But like, I'm just so grateful um, for that kind of feedback because yeah. the my favorite part of the creative process is those parts where uh, somebody else comes into the process and creates tension that you have to resolve yeah. and it's almost the synthesis is almost better always better than what you could have done alone yeah and I think that's the Holy Spirit <laughs> which I think is kind of a picture of what this whole book was like yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, as a writer, you have an option when, you know, when, when an editor gives you advice and, and says, you know, we don't need the half-eaten sailor. You know, the the easy step is just to take out the, the half-eaten sailor. Mm -hmm. Or you can say, this is an opportunity to rethink this whole thing, what, what you just right. described. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, even if that's fixing a sentence, you know, yeah. taking an opportunity to really rethink 
the way things are mm-hmm. way yeah. things are going. Uh, I was going to say the, uh, the readers have no idea what they're in for with the places beyond the maps with Doug's story <laughs> because it's written in this Cormac McCarthy voice and if you guys haven't read Cormac McCarthy you should maybe uh, <laughs> don't do your children yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah but The Road is is you know is an incredible book but I've read a few of his westerns you know and as soon as I started your book I was like oh my goodness he's channeling Cormac McCarthy so it was like a combo of one of my favorite writers you channeling one of my favorite writers Cormac McCarthy in in a western, which is one of my favorite genres, but in a fantasy novel, <laughs> it was crazy. But you have these like one of the things that Cormac McCarthy and I guess Faulkner does too. I've never read Faulkner, but the these long paragraph long sentences, you know. And uh, when the book was sent over to the Random House editors, you know, the people who were going to kind of like giving it a once over before they they came back to me with like. <laughs> This is going to take a long time because we need to break up all of these paragraphs into sentences because I don't know if you're aware that it was like, well, of course I'm aware. And, and I just, I gave him, I kind of put the kibosh on it and just said, you can't change a single sentence of Doug's story. Like, you have to leave it alone. Like, everything there is as it's meant to be. Um, and then had the pleasure of reading the audiobook for it uh, a few weeks ago. And every one of the stories was so fun to read. Um, Pete's was all told first person from the point of view of a pirate, which meant that I had to sustain a pirate accent for 45 minutes or whatever it was. Uh, but man, there were a few sentences in your in your story that I just burst into tears. I was in the in the studio just like having I was kind of a mess because they were so uh, I want to say majestic, magnificent. I don't know these huge. I mean sentences that like I had to read like four times to. To understand what it was that you were trying to say and then when I realized what you were trying to say I was just like holy cow it's like two pages long this sentence you know anyway it's really really something and one of my favorite Amazon reviews I don't know if you guys remember this but somebody left a review on Amazon that was like a each oh, story yes. <laughs> and it was like each story was reviewed in reference to Doug's story it was like <laughs> Jonathan's poem is really wonderful but it cannot hold the candle for those. <laughs> Andrew's story is is neat and an enjoyable ride, but it cannot come close to the majesty that is Doug McCoy's. <laughs> it was an amazing review. Anyway, but like the combination of all of them, like I feel like there's like a little bit in there for everybody, um, and I and I'm excited for these kids to discover you guys as writers. Great. I think we're I think we're done here. Thanks everybody for being here. This is really fun. Yeah. This podcast is brought to you by The Rabbit Room, where art nourishes community and community nourishes art. And all our podcasts are made possible by the generous support of our members. To learn more about us, visit rabbitroom.com. And to become a member, rabbitroom.com slash donate. Special thanks as well to Taylor Linhart for letting us use her song Diamonds as the theme music for season three of The Habit Podcast. You can learn more about Taylor and follow her work at taylorlinhart.com. The Habit Membership is a library of resources for writers by me, Jonathan Rogers. More importantly, The Habit is a hub of community where like-minded writers gather to discuss their work and give each other a little more courage. Find out more at thehabit.co.